0: Well good morning, got a message from Trevor last night, said he was sick, could I cover for him, and I figured at that late hour it wouldn't be fair to try to throw that on someone else, so y'all get stuck with me one more time, but uh, we're going to talk about salvation, Now we've been talking about Jesus quite a bit in the last little, last three weeks since I've been teaching. And uh, we're going to talk about what Paul says in Romans, what Paul teaches in Romans about being saved. Now, it's interesting to me because if you're saved, you would think you knew what being saved was, right? I mean, you would think you understood being saved if you're saved, right? But there's a lot of confusion about why we're saved and how we're saved. And the book of Romans was written to a bunch of Christians It wasn't written to a bunch of pagans out there that didn't know how to be saved. It was written to people who were saved and Paul was explaining what salvation was all about because there was confusion. You might say, well, why was there confusion? There's confusion in the world today about being saved, isn't there? Lots of different churches teach lots of different things. There's confusion about it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what Paul explains as he lays out how and why humans can be right with God, people who aren't right, people who are not sinless. Now, in Romans 1 through 3, we're going to start in Romans 4, but I want to give you just a little background on 1 through 3. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul says all the Gentiles have sinned without the law. Now, without the law means if you were a Gentile, you know what a Gentile was? That was somebody that's not a Jew. You didn't have the Old Testament law. That was written to Jews. The law of Moses, remember Moses went up on the mountain and came down. That was to Jews. It wasn't to Gentiles. So what happens if you're a Philistine? There's no word from God, no. That's not right. He says the Philistines did what what they called sinning against the law in their heart. And Paul argues this. He said that there is an absolute moral imperative that's put into the laws of all mankind. Now, you remember in the Garden of Eden how Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Okay, the Bible does not teach that you are guilty of the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are guilty of their own sin. You don't inherit their sin. What you do inherit is the knowledge of good and evil. And everyone, all of us, and we're all Gentiles here today, all of us have in our heart innately this knowledge that there is good and there is evil. Now, the Jews looked at Gentiles and said, You filthy dogs, you don't even have the law of God. How can you know anything? How can you be right about anything? And, of course, you're condemned because you, we have the law of God. And he says, Jews, you're no better than that. You're not any different than them. You have the law of God, and guess what you did with it? You broke it. You disobeyed it. So you're just as guilty as the Gentiles are. And in chapter 3, he says, everyone has sinned. Remember the verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Remember that? He says everyone is guilty. And you know the truth is we all know we're guilty, right? We all understand that. Remember last week we talked about being in that movie theater and everything we've ever done said or thought is going to be up on the screen? We didn't like that, did we, Christy? Because we're all guilty, okay? And then he says God, who is righteous, cannot overlook or ignore sin... So, if every human alive is guilty of sin and God's going to condemn sin and no one gets out of it, no one gets a free pass, and we're all guilty, how can God save anyone? It's a pretty good question, right? How can God be just and justify people who are unjust? How can God let sinful people into heaven? And Paul is going to explain that beginning here in chapter 4. He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what he says is this. Let's start with Abraham because everyone, even the Gentiles, agreed that Abraham was righteous. Why was Abraham righteous? well, he, he was a great godly man. and I mean, he was Abraham, right? You know what Abraham did? Do you remember the story? He was headed down to Egypt and he knew one of the Egyptians was going to want his wife, Sarah. Do you remember that? Remember, they stopped at like the last little coffee shop this side of Egypt and he says to her, Sarah, you are a fine looking woman. And I know those Egyptians and one of them's going to want you. And I just want you to know right now, you tell them I'm your brother. <laughs> they can have you. That's what he said in effect. Is that righteous? You think Sheila would say think that was righteous if Yancey said, you tell them I'm your brother, they can have you? That's not righteous. Abraham did that twice. He was afraid of getting killed. And so he did something that was, Abraham wasn't perfect. He said Abraham was righteous, but he was not justified by his works. If he was justified by his works, he could knock on that gate to heaven and say, let me in, because I'm righteous. God says that's not the way it happens. That's not the reason that Abraham was righteous. Look at this. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So he said the reason Abraham was righteous was not because he never sinned. Abraham was counted righteous because of the faith that he had in God. Now if you've read the Bible much, you know from the very beginning... God values faith. He values people trusting Him. He values that very highly. And this passage here, Paul says that the reason Abraham was considered or accounted or credited with being righteous was because of the faith that he had. And he goes ahead and he explains this. He says, Now to him who works, wages are not counted as grace but as debt. Okay, so I have hired a guy to put flooring in my, one of my rent houses, okay? And he charges $2 a square foot to lay that flooring in this rent house, okay? So if it's 1,000 square feet at the end of this job, guess how much money he expects from me? $2,000, Okay? I owe him $2,000 at the end of that job, right? What if I don't pay him? Well, I've stolen his money, right? I owe him that money. He's worked and I have a debt then. The debt is I owe him that money. We understand how debt works, right? So is there some good deed that you can do that makes God indebted to you so that he owes you to let you in heaven? Let's change the scenario. Let's suppose that this guy doesn't work. In fact, let's suppose it's just you and after church I say, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. You say, okay. You come, I say, listen, I just I just want to write you a check for one billion dollars. Okay? And I give you a check after church this morning for one billion dollars. Now it will bounce. <laughs> But if I could do that for you, would you think you'd earned that money? I say, "Well, you know, I've I've invited you over to the house before and fed you. I've <laughs> I, I uh, gave you a ride one time. Is there anything you've done for me that's worth a billion dollars? No, you haven't. That's just a gift, right? You know." if you work for me for $20 an hour, you'd have to work for me for 25,000 years at 40 hours a week to earn a billion dollars. You can't do that. It's more than you can earn yourself, okay? Now, his argument here is that if you don't work, it's grace. If you do work, it's debt, okay? So, when it comes to being saved... Your salvation is more va- Is it more valuable than a billion dollars to be saved? Would you say that? Absolutely. There's nothing you can do that's good enough to make God owe you salvation. You just can't do it. It has to be a gift. It has to be grace. So, no, well, you know what? We made a commitment. We're going to go to church every week. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's a great thing. But that doesn't make up for all the sin you've committed. That doesn't fix that. So salvation is a gift from God. It's grace. It's not something you earn by doing lots of good things. You can't do enough good things to make God owe you salvation. Now, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So what God says is this, because you can't do good enough to be righteous, if you will have faith in Me, if you will totally trust Me, I will give you credit for being righteous. I will put that billion dollars in your bank. I will credit you with righteousness to be right with God and to be saved. Okay, now, he goes ahead and talks about Abraham's faith and explains it further. He says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Okay? He gives an example of Abraham's faith. Now I want you to think about your own faith. God comes to Abraham. He's almost 100 years old, and God says, Abraham, you are going to have a baby with your wife Sarah. Okay? Now, that's impossible, For one, Sarah's barren. She's never been able to have kids. They've been married for years and years and years and years, and she can't have kids. Okay? Never was able to. Number two, now he's 100 years old, and he's too old to have kids. Number three, Sarah is almost 100 years old, and even if she had been able to have kids before, she can't now. It's impossible for them to have kids. God says, Abraham, you're going to have kids. You know what Abraham says? He looks over at his dried up old prune of a wife in her rocking chair. And he says, honey, we need to get a nursery ready. It's impossible. God said so. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. The kind of faith that no matter what God says, that's just the way it is because God said so. And that's true. You might say, well... You know, it just doesn't seem loving for God to say that it doesn't matter whether it seems right to you and me, loving to you and me, possible to you and me. None of that matters. What matters to people of faith is what did God say? And if God said it, then that's just the way it is. That's what's gonna happen. And Abraham, his life was filled with story after story after story of this. Remember, God gave him this son and told him, Go kill your son. God had promised him he was going to make a great nation out of this boy and his descendants. You know what Abraham did? Let's go, boy. Why? God, you promised. You said you were going to make a great nation out of my kids and grandkids. And now you want me to kill the boy. No. Abraham said, hey, you know what? God said, go kill him. I'm going to kill him. If God's got to raise the boy from the dead to keep the promise, He'll just raise the boy from the dead. He trusted God. God completely. Doesn't mean he never messed up, doesn't mean he never sinned, but he trusted God. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, he tells that that he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness because he trusted God it was accounted him for right now why is paul telling this he says in the very next verse now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but also for us now that word imputed means to assign or attribute to someone okay to impute something means i assign it to you okay and he says this is not, I'm not telling you about how Abraham was righteous just for Abraham's sake. Abraham was imputed or credited with being righteous because of his faith. But he said, the reason I'm telling you that is not so you'll understand Abraham, but so you'll understand that you stand before God righteous the very same way if you have this faith. Look at this. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He says, I didn't write this to praise Abraham or to explain Abraham. I wrote this so you would understand that if you had the same kind of faith Abraham had, you stand righteous before God. He credits you with being righteous, even though you've messed up even though you fail, even though you're weak, when you totally trust that God raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So when you're baptized, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but when you're baptized, that's an act of faith. That is saying to God, I'm going to, I'm going to bet my soul Jesus died, was buried, and raised again, so I want to show that I accept that is payment for my sin. You see, that's the beautiful explanation. That because Jesus Christ lived a perfect, spotless, sinless, blameless life, and Jesus was righteous, and you haven't, if you trust God... Trust that He will give you credit for the life that Jesus lived and Jesus will take the punishment for the sins that you've committed. You can be right with Him. It works like this. The believer, our guilt is credited to Jesus on the cross and His righteousness is credited to us and that's what being just is all about. Justification. You see, that's why in 2 Corinthians he says that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God punishes Jesus for my sin. That's what Jesus came. He said, sin's got to be paid for. I'll pay for it. I'll take their punishment. And he died on the cross to take our punishment. And he said, men, Father, You give them credit for the perfect, spotless, blameless life that I lived. And that will make them righteous in Your eyes. That's salvation. That's how salvation works. Now Paul goes ahead and talks about this. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we were justified by faith. Remember, our faith, God credits us with being just or righteous. And He said, because we're justified now by our faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our peace with God comes from being right with God. You know, occasionally, I know this probably will shock you, but occasionally Carrie and I Get a little irritated at one another, okay? Eddie doesn't isn't surprised, okay? Sometimes she'll get a little irritated at me or something, and after a little while, I'll go, "Are we good?" <laughs> right? I want it, I want it to be good, and she'll either say yes or no or not say anything at all, and I know the answer then, <laughs> right? To be good with God, to be right with God, to have peace with God, the only way you can do that is to be righteous, and the only way you can be righteous is to be credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then you've still done the sin, but you're, you're at peace with God, He's not your enemy anymore. He goes ahead and explains it like this. God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God just loves people. And God didn't look down at you and go, Oh man, they messed up, but they're so cute. I just got to save them. It doesn't work that way. God loves you when you're His enemy. When you've done things that are despicable, God still loves you. You know, my daughters loved animals. I was never... I mean, I love animals, but they taste good. <laughs> I mean, I love them differently than, than my parents. And not dogs and stuff. I'm just talking about... I'm going down a bad hole here, right <laughs> in that direction. My kids loved animals. And there any dog that came along, they oh, sweet little puppy. Oh, it is. One. And it could be an old mangy, snarling, mean mutt that wanders through our yard. And they're, oh, it's a puppy. It's a, and that thing would bite them. It would give them diseases. But they just loved the little doggy. That's the way God is toward us. You can be ugly and sinful, but God just loves people. He just loves us. There's no, no value in us that makes Him love us. He just is a people lover. And that's why the Bible says the angels look at it and, and they're just amazed. They to, because you know what? When angels sinned, God bound them in chains to be held to the day of judgment. But when people sinned, God said, you know what? I'm going to send my son and let him die in their place and so they can be a part of my family. And the angels just go, wow. Wow. Can you imagine that? The love of God? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you ever think about how God loves you? Brother Bruce prayed that I would talk about how much God loves us. This is how much God loves you. And it, it's just beyond imagination. Now, he explains this reconciliation that we have with God. He says, much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be safe from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So notice he says we're rejoicing in God through Jesus because that's the way we got reconciled to God, right? What I want you to notice in this passage, I know it's lots of words, I want you to notice a couple of things. One, it's all about being saved. Look at the words, justified, safe from wrath, reconciled. This passage is all about being right with God. Now here's what I want you to notice about what he says in this passage. What's the reason we're right with God? We're right with God by His blood, by Him, by His Son, by His life, by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not right with God because you do certain things that make you right with God. You are not right with God because you come to church all the time or because you tell the truth on your taxes or because you help little old ladies across the street or because you give some money to someone who's in need. That's not what makes you right with God. You do all those things because you're right with God. That doesn't make you right with God. Those are very different things. We serve God in response to His gift of salvation. He compares this to sin and being unright with God. He says, Therefore, justice through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. He's, you know why you're a sinner? Because Adam sinned. No, you're a sinner because you sinned. You're a sinner because you sinned. We all sinned just like Adam did. Now, Adam brought that first sin into the world... Adam and Eve were the first ones to sin. That's how sin got here. But once it got here, every one of us got in the line and got us some of that sin, right? Every one of us did that. And he says, that's why you're unrighteous. He said, but being right with God, he says, the free gift is not like the offense. So you sin that makes you not right with God. Being right with God is a free gift, and that's different from how you got unrighteous. You get righteous in a different way. What's that different way? Well, look at this. Whew. Here's a lot of words about it. Here's what I want you to notice at all: the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man. Here's the word I want you to notice all through that. Look at this. It's a free gift. Being right with God is a free gift. He says it over and over. What's a gift? It's something that someone gives you. It's not something you earned. Okay? Y'all had a shower for Jordan while she was here a baby shower, right? And she came to the house and you all gave her gifts, right? Now Jordan came back to the house. She goes, oh, look what they gave me. She didn't say, look what I earned. (laughs) Well, you didn't earn that. Oh, yes, I did. I had to drive all over to Sheila's house to get this stuff. (laughs) Well, she didn't earn that. It was a gift. All of that was gifts. Some people say, well, you say you've got to be baptized. You're earning... Getting dunked in water doesn't earn your salvation. It's just the way you go accept the free gift. It is a free gift and it's given freely. It's a gift from God to you. It's not something you earn. That's hard for us as humans to understand because everything else in our life is a meritocracy, right? You know what I mean by meritocracy? You merit something, it's what you earn. If you do a good job, you get rewarded for that. But Christianity isn't that way. Being right with God is a free gift that the vilest sinner, even a guy like Paul who killed Christians and tried to get them to blaspheme God, could be given that, that gift because it's not based on how good we are. He says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace has abounded much more. And he says, the law, you know what the purpose of the law of God is? To condemn you. The purpose of the law is, the only thing law does is say innocent or guilty. That's all law does, right? Tells you the rules and says you're innocent or you're guilty. The law is 55 miles an hour on this road. If you're driving 56, what does the law say you are? Innocent or guilty? Guilty. I said, well, it's just one. Oh, you're you're guilty. Either you're innocent or you're guilty by the law. Okay, that's all the law does. He said, so where the law did? What the law did is the law pointed out sinfulness, and where sin abounded, grace which is the free gift of salvation from God, grace abounds much more. So his picture is this. If you've got this big old pile of sin, there's enough grace to cover that sin. You might say, yeah, but I know a guy that has a bigger pile of sin than I do. Well, you know what? There's enough grace to cover that big old pile of sin. You know anybody that's got one of these? Maybe you? You know what? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And what he's arguing is this. No matter how sinful you've been, there's enough grace to cover all of it. It's never ever too late. You can never, ever be so far away from God that you can't be forgiven of your sin. Y'all know who Jeffrey Dahmer was? Some of you remember that name? He was a, a murderer. Murdered and killed and ate a bunch of people. Horrible. Went to prison. Did you know Jeffrey Dahmer obeyed the gospel in prison? Right, a member of the church sent him a letter, taught him the gospel, began to correspond with him, and Jeffrey Dahmer was baptized into Jesus Christ. You think God could forgive a guy like that? Yeah, I see some heads going up and down. He can. God forgave Paul for murdering people just because they were Christians. Jeffrey Dahmer murdered people, but not just because they were Christians. God forgives sin. That's what God does. Now, if you're thinking about this like a rational human being, you're going to go, "Wait a minute. That's a pretty good deal." <laughs> because you know, it doesn't matter what I do, I can be forgiven. I mean, I can I can be forgiven for anything. Well, hallelujah. I can do anything I want to do and God will forgive me. Guess what? That's a message that American Christianity got. Isn't it? American Christendom. Well, you can just be any way you want to be and God will forgive you. And that's the very question that comes up in the next verse. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? I'm righteous even if I live like the Antichrist and cuss like a sailor and get drunk again. I'm righteous because God forgives everything. Hallelujah. God will forgive me for anything. Isn't that great? That's the way humans think. And Paul answers that in this very next verse. Paul says this, Certainly not how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So look at these things He says. He says, Shall we continue in sin? You know, there were some people who were even saying this. You know, God is great for forgiving sin, Right? Would you agree with that? God is great for forgiving sin. Okay, We sang songs about praising God and how great He is, right? And the worse the sinner is, the greater God is for forgiving them, right? So if I go out and sin a whole bunch, that's just making God really great for forgiving me. Can you see how people would reason that way? And Paul says, Is that true? No, that's not true. The fact that your salvation is a free gift doesn't mean that now that you're forgiven, you just go live like the devil. God didn't come and send Jesus to die so you could be sinful. He sent Jesus to die to make you righteous. He says, no. He said when you were baptized, oh we've gotten back to this baptism thing. When you were baptized, you were baptized into his death. What died? Well, Jesus died, right? What in you dies? The old man of sin. The one that lived the way you wanted to live instead of the way God tells you to live. The old man of sin dies. You're buried with him in baptism and you're raised to walk in a new life. Your baptism, you know, we immerse because that's what the word baptize means. It means to dip or immerse. And in immersion, in baptism, you are showing a form of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's a form of it. And what you're saying to God when you're baptized is that I have died with Christ, I've been buried with Him, and I've been raised to walk in a new life, and I completely trust that God has taken away my sin. I've baptized lots of people. And I have never seen sin floating on the water after the baptism. How do you know? How do you know God washes away your sin? Sam Houston, who was baptized, said that he felt sorry for the fish that were downstream while his sin was washed down. Sin doesn't float on. How do you know God forgives your sin when you're baptized? Faith you trust what God said. You have faith in God. You believe that your baptism at that point is faith in the operation of God, that God is removing your sin. You trust that completely? Then God removes your sin. And you're raised to walk in this new life. When you're baptized, you're raised to walk in in a new life. You see, the big problem first is we think we can earn our rightness with God, and that's not true. You can't be saved by your works. Okay? Because your works can never be perfect. The next problem that comes when we realize that's not true is we go, oh, well, our works don't matter at all, and Paul says that's not true either. Both of those extremes are wrong. Do you want the death of Jesus to pay for your sin? Amen? Yes? You can't have his death if you won't take his life. There's two sides to the same coin. You cannot have the benefits of his death if you will not follow and live his life. But you do that because you've been saved, not in order to get saved. And that is critical. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. He says reckon or consider yourself dead to sin. Now if we had a dead guy up here right now in a casket, okay, and he's laying here and somebody comes up and says, Hey, I have got some of the best alcohol that anybody's ever drank. Let's offer it to this guy. And he loved alcohol. He's laying in this casket. What's he going to do when you walk up and offer him that bottle of alcohol? That's all he's going to do. He's not going to respond because he's dead, right? You could offer him a billion dollars. You could offer him any kind of pornography. You could offer him any kind of power. And all he's ever going to do is because he's dead to it. He says, consider yourself dead to sin. Now, do you feel dead to sin? When temptation is offered to you, do you just go? Or do you go? Well, we don't feel dead to sin, do we? He says, consider yourself dead to sin. How do I consider myself dead to sin? Because God says you are dead to sin. Remember faith? We trust God. Consider yourself dead to sin. And then what you do is you begin to live in your physical life the way God really sees you spiritually, which is righteous and perfect and spotless and blameless. That's the way God sees you spiritually. That's the way you really are. So what you do is you begin to live that way in the flesh. Okay? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. I seek to obey God. I try and I struggle against sin and I fight, not so God will love me or so God will save me, but because God loved me and because God saved me, that's why I struggle and fight against sin. Does that make sense? Can you give yes or no? Does this make sense? Okay that we respond to the love and grace of God. We love Him because He first loved us. We don't do good to get Him to love us, but we don't accept His love and then just keep doing evil. You can't do either one of those. You respond to the love of God. He says, To whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, of obedience leading to righteousness. So this is where the rubber meets the road for us. If you have come to God in faith, you've surrendered to Him, you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, look at your life. Who are you serving? You can determine that. Who are you serving? If you're living your life serving sin, then you're not a servant of God. And if you are a servant of God, if you're serving God, then your failures and your weaknesses your slips, your sins, they're taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as you walk in the life, He is faithful and just to forgive you for all those sins. But you know, I don't know, but you know if you're walking after Jesus. You know if you're serving sin or if you're serving God. And that's where the rubber meets the road for you and I. Now he makes this diagram, so to speak, in these next two verses and explains it one more time in a, like a chart form. He says, You were the servants of sin. He starts out verse 17. He says, But God be thanked. We're going to thank God for this. What? You were the servants of sin. You were a servant of sin, weren't you? But what happened? But you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You obeyed that form of doctrine. Now we've just talked about the form of doctrine, right? The form, it's baptism that he's been talking about. You were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. You obeyed that form of doctrine. But notice what he says. He says you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You know, that's why we don't baptize babies. Can a baby obey from the heart that form of doctrine? No. It has to be a mature person who can understand that they're a sinner and that they're guilty of sin and that they're repentant of that sin. And their baptism is the response of a repentant heart trusting Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. That's that act of faith that we've talked about so much. He says, So you were the servant of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, and then you were made free from sin. What made you free from sin? When you obeyed the, from the heart that form of doctrine. When you have the faith that Abraham had that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus takes away your sin. You have that faith? You're made free from sin, and you become a servant or slave of righteousness. So from this point on, hey, I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to have failures. I'm still going to have days I do better than other days. But He saved me. (laughs) He washed away my sins. And so I'm going to get back up and I'm going to follow Him. And I'm never, when I fall down, I'm never going to stay down. I'm always going to get back up. Because He saved me. Hallelujah. He saved me. And I live my life in response to that. And he concludes this by saying this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you earn is death. What you get given as a free gift is eternal life. Does that make sense? Do you understand salvation a little better than you did before? I hope you do. Paul's message was a critical and important message. And it's a message that we as Christians need today. We need to know that God saves us because of His great love and He offered this free gift of salvation to us, not because we're good. And we also need to know that that's predicated on me having complete faith in Him. I trust Him. I I am banking, I am pinning my entire soul and my entire existence that Jesus was the Son of God and came out of that grave and paid for my sin. And if that's true, can I do anything else but serve Him? If that's true, is there any ball game? Is there any job? Is there anything that's more important? Any relationship in this world that's more important? than me serving Him? There's not. Out of gratitude and response, our obedience is a response to that Gospel. I pray that you're faithful to God. And I pray that you have this faith. (coughs) And I want to say this. If your baptism wasn't the response of a repentant heart, if you weren't coming in faith to Jesus Christ trusting His death, burial, and resurrection, then you just got wet. If your baptism was, you know what? He saved me. I'm trusting His his Son. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I trust that, and I'm going to live my life that way. If that's what it was, then you can have confidence that even if you failed, even if you've messed up, even if you messed up really bad since then, God forgives you of your sin. You can trust that. You can have confidence in that. And if you're a Christian who really believed that stuff and you've, you've just not been serving Him, you need to get back to serving Christ. You need to serve Jesus. You need to not serve sin because you don't want to come to the final day and Jesus stands before His Father and goes, yeah, Father, He, he trusted me or she trusted me a little while, but then they just decided they'd rather go back and serve sin. He said the latter end is worse than the beginning if you do that. It's better to never come to Jesus than to come to Him and then quit and go back to serving the world. If you're not right with God, please do what you need to do to be right with Him, whether it's recommitting your life or being baptized into Jesus Christ. Whatever your need, the church can help you with that if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.